Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there, whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, July 3rd, 2023, and we're on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebrich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero, and this week we get to talk about America's two species of hyadon, the moon eye and the gold eye. And I get to extend a warm welcome to our guests. We've got two fish enthusiasts um, with us today from Minnesota. They sit on the board for their native fish for tomorrow. We've got Eric Kosinski and Tony Schulmeyer. They'll be bringing their angling perspectives and enthusiasm for these shiny-eyed fish. So really excited to talk to both of you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So we've got two fish. And at first glance, you might be like, you know, this is maybe a shad or a herring. But in reality, they're the only two living species native to North America in that genus that Guy mentioned, Hyadon. And when you start to really look closely at them, they've got some kind of crazy cool features. So Eric or Tony, would you be willing to just kind of tell us what these fish look like and what stands out when you have one in your hands? Yeah, so it's a very flat Side to side fish, pretty tall, super shiny, like chrome mirror, very similar to a shatter herring, like you said, in some ways. As an angler, one thing that's going to be noticeable right away is the eyes are absolutely enormous on them. Mm-hmm. And when you go to take a hook out of one, you'll probably notice that it has sharp pointy teeth on its tongue. It's really strange compared to any other fish. That tongue is freaky looking. It kind of looks like an alien. (laughs) Something out of a sci-fi movie for sure. One of the neat things about them and makes them so mysterious is because you can be fishing, let's say for walleye or something like that in a pretty big river and you know expect to pull out smallmouth bass or a walleye and then all of a sudden you finally do hook something comes up and it's maybe playing a little different and you see this flash of silver Mm -hmm. and you're like, what? Is They mean like a portal just opened up to like, you know, either a different galaxy where this fish exists or a different time where this exists. I mean, it's just this alien looking fish, but it was right there the entire time, right? They might have been fishing the river for 10, 12 years and have never seen one. And then all of a sudden, once it's visible, you're never going to forget it. That's for sure. This is a neat species um, that can act as an on-ramp because it is so unique and not just for children, but for any angler. It's unique enough that when you do catch one, if you are curious about it or if it's not maligned immediately, this can lead you down some neat rabbit holes. They seem to be poorly, like very little written about them in general. Like I've got a copy of Becker's Fishes of Wisconsin on my bookshelf over here. And I think all the pages between Moon Eye and Gold Eye combined, and this is a big, thick (laughs) book, are like five pages or something. Put it in perspective, I think Fathead Minnow alone has got at least six pages in there. So it's like, <laughs> this is, you know, one of the people who's wrote one of the most detailed books on upper Midwestern fish from a totally, you know, agnostic to any kind of angling kind of perspective, very much a, a ichthyology kind of a book. And there's hardly anything in there about them because I don't think there's a whole lot of research that's been done. Sometimes to me with the sheen, they almost look like a squash or a flattened tulipy or a cisco. Um, That sheen is kind of the similar class of that. And they will reflect whatever surrounding you're into. So if you take a picture of one, you know, surrounded by trees, it's going to look green a little bit. And if you're on a riverbank somewhere, it might be a little more just shiny. They're definitely mirrors. Mm -hmm. Um, They're beautiful fish. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, 
if you look at them cross-eyed, they'll die. That's the other thing with these fish. Mm -hmm. For as metal as they are with having teeth on their tongues, they're pretty fragile fish. So unless you do intend to eat them, try and unhook them very carefully in the water using a forceps or something like that so you don't handle them. If you think a bad thought about them, insult their parents or something, they will they'll die and they'll become eagle food you know in about 10 minutes an eagle will fly by and see that shiny thing and fly off with it one thing that i have learned down here dealing with things like the red eye bass is that eye color is not always a good key character to distinguish species from one another is that a good character for these guys or how else can you tell a gold eye from a moon eye i think it's generally true that gold eye are pretty obviously more yellow eyed than moon eye the usual key characteristic is the position of the dorsal fin with the dorsal fin on a moon eye starting just ahead of the anal fin. And on the gold eye, it's dorsal is even further back where it's behind the beginning of the anal fin. Then the other thing is gold eyes have much bigger mouths, which is also I think something that's pretty obvious when you're handling one and taking the hook out of it is their mouth is quite a bit bigger than a moon eye's mouth. It's like half their head. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I look at a like the face of a fish, I mean, kind of looking at those characteristics, the eyes, I mean, are these a species that, you know, are active at night? Like, do you know why their eyes are so big? They are active at night. They can be active during the day too, but they definitely are well adapted to being able to be active at night for sure. Okay, I was thinking of our walleye episode and we had those two fancy words, the tapida lucida. I think these guys have that as well, and it helps reflect light back into the, the photoreceptors. Super cool. Uh, I do catch them pretty frequently with walleye, so that might not be a coincidence there if they're similar eye structure there. So this is a species, or at least moon eye, I believe, are a species that we get down here in Georgia, but they're not very abundant. I have never run into one. How would you recommend, if I was trying to set up a trip to go look for this fish, I go about doing it? One of my favorite places to look for them is current seams. I know they're commonly found below dams, swing dams, any places where there is current and adjacent to current. You'd be surprised how heavy of a current you would catch a moon eye out of. Sometimes it's pretty burly. I'll, you know, throw out a a piece of nightcrawler or a nightcrawler heavily weighted so it will bounce along the bottom. And in that burly current, out will come this little shiny alien on the other end of the line, you know, Mm -hmm. tugging, using its flat body there to use the current any way it can to get away. They love current. Okay. Um, In some of the deeper pool structures, it's pretty common to see them coming up, you know, just like a trout would for hatches, I think. In parts of the Ohio River drainage, I've seen people using, they swear by crickets, uh, mealworms, things like that, and they'll throw them out under a float. Bobber, you know, two, three feet down, and they'll adjust the depth until they find them, but often they'll see them coming right up. I would hate to be a cricket getting in the mouth with those teeth in there. I don't think anything that gets in that mouth is going to ever get away. It's not going to escape? No, never. At least up here, I would look to tributaries of major rivers like the Mississippi And I would stick to the waters that are downstream of the last dam on that river because most of our tributaries of the Mississippi here, once you get above the last dam, moon eyes are in most cases absent. They're usually extirpated above that. But like the Wisconsin River and the Chippewa River system are loaded with moon eyes. So is the St. Croix up to the lowest dam on each of those. Okay, that's a good tip. 
I mean, they extend all the way up into Canada. I was looking at some range maps. So for our Canadian friends listening, Canada, all the way kind of down the middle of the U.S. So they got a pretty, pretty big area they span at least. That Red River of the North going up into Manitoba and up into Lake Winnipeg, smoke ola is very popular food fish, uh, commercially available. So I think the numbers are still just fine up there. And they catch decent sized ones too. I think, you know, in Manitoba, master angler, whatever the equivalent is just over 15 inches for a goalie. Okay. That's cool. Have any of you guys ever eaten smoked or otherwise? Munai, yes. Gold, I have not. And I had smoked Munai and it was served with some smoked red horse and some other stuff. So I don't remember exactly. It was kind of a smorgasbord of smoked fish, (laughs) but it wasn't bad. I know it's a pretty popular fish to smoke here when people are aware of them. So do you catch both of the species kind of equally? Are you fishing different types of habitats? Nowhere that I've been, have I been any place where you would find a decent number of both. Usually it's a lot of one and the other one's very rare and the other way around. Here in the upper Midwest, Minnesota and stuff like that, gold eyes are very common in the prairie areas. Some of the really turbid rivers like the Red River system, as you get out in the Dakotas too, lots of gold eyes out that way. And then as you move east into the Mississippi River and its tributaries, which are either fairly clear or tannin-stained, those are much more moon-eye waters. So almost never see gold eyes in those waters around here. It's very rare. Yeah, separated into turbid versus clear. Yeah, that's cool. Mostly, yep. That's, that seems to be the biggest thing that segregates the two species, at least up here. It may be different other places, but I think that's fairly consistently true. And it proves with both of these, the moon eye and the gold eye, knowing where they are and knowing exactly where they are, sometimes they're two totally different things. I've not quite caught a gold eye yet. And I've, okay. I've gone to basically idiot-proof places to catch these guys. They're ubiquitous in their watersheds for the most part and locally common, but sometimes you hit them or you miss them. On one of the tributaries I was fishing a couple of weeks ago, I was there at the very end of May and um, stumbled upon some spawning river red horse. And there were zero moon eye in a place where I typically catch pretty good numbers of moon eye. And I went back the following weekend and there was zero river red horse spawning. And all of a sudden I had moon eye in the runs where I normally catch them. So the water temperature was at the very end of the river red horse spawn. And, you know, I was catching channel cats and moon eye where they had been completely absent just a week before. So, and this is a small tributary. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. That's cool. And that's, of course, anecdotal. I have no idea if there's actually a tie to that or not. But You've mentioned not successfully catching gold eyes before, I'm assuming in Western <laughs> Minnesota. And I know from experience yeah. that if you show up, and I think it's around the time that they're spawning, probably, there's a window of time where they're just, I don't know if they're not feeding or if they're just somewhere else in the river. But when that's going on, it's like they don't even exist. And then two weeks later, then it's back to normal and you can catch them again as you would normally. But it's very mysterious. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on if they're just not feeding or if they're elsewhere in the river. You fishing with worms too? Or are you doing some fly fishing? Both. Lately, mostly worms because I'm a a worm snob. And (laughs) after I recovered (laughs) from my fly fishing years, I go out of my way to fish things with bait as much as possible. But yeah, both some. 
fly fishing has made me a much better worm angler. Let's put it that way. Ah. That is 100% true. Yeah. And the vice versa works too. That's good to hear. I took a friend out two weekends ago. So the first weekend of June here on a Minnesota, Wisconsin border water and found a good spot. And he was determined to go after smallmouth and other toothy things with fly rod. And I was using my worm techniques and catching tons and tons of species. And it was actually when I started catching moon eye that I was able to tempt him away from his fly rod <laughs> to get to to do some drifting with a crawler. You know, we put a streamer on and I, you know, walked him through kind of trying to pull a moon eye out on the fly rod there, but it was a little more effective with the worm. They're definitely cool. They're definitely worth your time. And it's neat to know that even if you don't catch one, that they're out there swimming around right under your feet, probably, and you didn't even realize they were there. And if, you know, mix it up a little bit and change the depth at which you're floating your crawler through a run or something like that, you might just have one show up at the end of your line without even trying for it. Yeah, I'd add if anybody's looking to try and catch one, I'd highly recommend some kind of natural drifting kind of presentation. They will eat flies in the right conditions, especially if there's a hatch going on. Generally speaking, I've always done better with a bait that's moving with the current rather than pinning it down on bottom. They're very in tuned with grabbing stuff that's drifting through the water column. Good tip. Thank you. It's a high priority on my list to catch. It's tough because it's far away, but it, it would check off so many boxes. You know, it's, it's fun to catch a new species. <laughs> it's fun to catch a new genus. But when you start getting into new families, new orders of fish, that's where it's really cool. It's just a big empty column that I have on my sheet that I need to fill out. So I need to get out and get one of these guys one of these days. I, I had notes in my in my uh, American Current. Someone had published, like, oh, you can go catch it below this one dam in North Dakota. We caught a bunch. So I'm like categorizing. I'm making plans. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to get out there. I've made many map pins from American Currents articles. That's a phenomenal resource for just about anything you want to go after. Yeah. I don't have really a question about it, but I think it's worth bringing up that, okay, so we're dealing with these two fish that are the sole members, not only of their, well, I guess it's not sole if they're two of them, but they're the only members of this genus, but also of the family and also the order Hyodontiformes, which is sister to Osteoglossiformes. So we brought up the like the teeth on the tongue, which, uh, and so the osteoglossiformes, that's fish that people know from like South America. We're talking about like your arapaimas, your arowanas, and osteoglossiformes, that, that's referring to like the bony tongue. So again, I don't really have anywhere to go with this other than, ah, look, they're similar and they also have some bony features on their tongue. But I do think it's <laughs> neat that they're kind of this offshoot, this relative of these other kind of iconic fishes that people think of down in South America. And back to the portal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fairly recent splitting those apart too, because they were lumped into osteoglossiforms for a while too. Oh, really? When do you yeah, think that yeah. split happened? It's within the past <laughs> 20 years, I would say. Okay. Interesting. I think it's always cool when we think about order. I mean, that's the same as like primates for us. And there's only two of these kind of, you know, groupings. You mentioned the bony tongue, osteoformes, and these ones. I mean, that's, they're pretty unique. So if you actually look at like the fish and, North America say, I mean, this is a pretty unique couple of fish that, yeah, folks aren't too familiar with necessarily. I'm kind of curious. I, you don't hear too much about these fish. Why do you think they're kind of talked about less than maybe some of the other species that folks are fishing for? 
Or is that an accurate assessment? I would agree. I would agree 100%. It seems like there's a lot of people who appreciate them for catfish bait. I'll say that when you look them up on YouTube. <laughs> I, that, that is the way yes. most people would know them is, is as yep. bait. Yep. That is for sure. I would say most people probably don't know that they exist. And most of the people who know that they exist know them for their qualities as bait because they are fantastic bait. Yeah, they're great cut bait. They're nice and oily, which also makes them great for smoking, you know, for human consumption, but they make great catfish bait. Are these fish considered a rough fish? Are they a sport fish in some states or what's their kind of classification in that realm, if you know? In most states, at least, I think they'd be categorized in rough fish or whatever the equivalent is. Every state's kind of got their own different lingos and qualifiers. Some of them have like rough fish or non-game fish or... I think one state uses for all of their non-game species, they just call them other. So they're generally going to be in whatever that other group is for most states. There might be some exceptions out there, but none of them around us. They're all in the rough fish or equivalent group. So when you fish for them, are there any kind of limits on them or you just go and catch what you want for bait or... What's the yep. so up here? It's totally unregulated in terms of moonlight and gold eye. It's seasons continuous all year round. There's no bag limits. It's totally wide open right now, with the exception of in Wisconsin, because there's so few gold eyes. Gold eyes are protected as endangered in that state. Yeah. Um, so there are a few states out there that have either moon eyes or gold eyes that are protected entirely, which it tends to be the way it happens with a lot of these game fish species is you end up either totally unregulated or totally protected as endangered. That's yep. the two extremes you get. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's really Which is what happens when there's a lack of good data on a species, right? You don't realize it's in danger until you have to list it as endangered when it's like strikingly absent. I think it's neat with you two fishing and you've got some really neat observations. I think kind of citizen science like that almost is, you know, it's really helpful as well just to kind of have those observations and really key into what species are doing and yeah kind of inform yourselves that's neat from that standpoint uh, conservation awareness or citizen science or whatever tony mentioned moonite being extirpated above many of the you know the highest most dams yeah. on some of the systems in our minnesota border water the st croix river that's a really good example they're extirpated above the st croix taylor falls dam there and above that dam, there are spectacle case mussels, which are endangered. And they are the only fish host for those spectacle case mussels yeah. are the moon eye. And oh, so cool. it just so happened. Yeah, well, it's cool, except if you're a 70-year-old spectacle case mussel right now above, the, above that dam, yeah. without your host, you're kind of in deep trouble. So again, another check in the column for, you know, getting data on fish and, and things while they're still common enough to get good, you know, information on them. So yeah, we learned about those mussels uh, a few episodes ago. And man, it was neat to learn how they each have their own specific fish host and yeah. how connected they are. But like, yeah, the habitat connectivity is a big issue. Wow, that's neat. Yeah, that was a pretty recent finding that the moon eyes and gold eyes were the host for the spectacle case. Like super recent. Before that, they had no idea what the host for these endangered mussels was. For folks who didn't catch that episode, the mussels, um, they kind of yeah put their glochidia out and it, they attach to the fish's gills and then the fish's gills provide nutrients and then they drop off into the river. And so fish are a really key part of the mussel life cycle. And a lot of the mussels are threatened and endangered across the U.S. 
to go back to Eric's point about these fish being an interesting way to get people interested in other fish. This is probably the single most important fish for me in terms of getting interested in other fish. When I was 10, 11, something like that, I used to live near the St. Croix River, which has got a healthy population of moon eyes in the lower reaches of it. And I would ride my bike down to the river and go fishing. And at that age, the only real fishing I knew was a worm and a bobber. And at the time, I would just throw it out in the boulders and catch rock bass after rock bass because that's the lower St. Croix boulders are loaded with that. And at some point, I got the idea to throw the bobber out as far as I could to see if I could catch anything else. (laughs) The thing about the St. Croix River is the banks are like near vertical. And so if you cast out, even as far as a 10-year-old can cast, you're probably in 25 feet of water or something. So my worm's like a foot down in 25 feet of water, which is not a situation that anyone who quote unquote knows how to fish is probably going to (laughs) start fishing. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but as a 10 year old, you don't know any better. And I started catching these moon eyes doing this. What in the world is this thing? I had no idea what it was because I catch this bizarre, shiny fish. It's got these giant eyes and teeth on its tongue. And so I asked my dad and my dad, who is not much of a fisherman, actually knew what it was, yeah. which to this day is still amazing to me, uh, only because he had a similar experience when he was younger fishing downriver on the Mississippi River. We drifted into a school of them and caught a whole pile of them. So then he had asked somebody. So like it's just this long chain of people bumping into this alien looking fish. And because they're so unique and weird, you know, able to actually find out from other people what it is, you know, and then I got into gar and bowfin and all that stuff from there. That's cool. Eric, you got a first fish story with this fish? You know, it's funny because the St. Croix River, which when I was young, lived pretty close to there, not within biking distance, but I had a friend of the family who took me down there. And this was one of the silvery ones that would come up occasionally. Usually it was a drum, but as a reformed trout angler, getting back into rivering species in my late 20s, early 30s, um, started to encounter these. And as a father of, you know, children who like take them out, I like to instill that curiosity. This fish is like... It's super, it's super species for instilling curiosity in people. Ah. You know, I remember catching my first couple as an adult going back to river fishing and boy, they were just, you know, your, your spidey senses are tingling and you see that thing come in. And I like to use the worm techniques, you know, I'll use the fly fishing base, you know, almost like running a nymph, but with a little bit of weight and a worm. And it's just so, so fun, super simple. I really like the curiosity piece too. I think fish are fascinating in that way because yeah, you can really just start kind of digging in. Yeah, you just start reading about them and their lineage and family tree and like the adaptations. It's just really neat. And you can do that with any fish. So I'd encourage folks to do that. It's neat. From a native fish for tomorrow standpoint, is there anything you'd like to mention to folks? I mean, it seems like a pretty neat title and mission. What do you all have to say about that organization? Tony, do you want to start with this one? Sure. Um, So we're rod and gun conservation group prioritizing the other angling targets, kind of the stuff that falls in the gap between the Dingle Johnson Act and the Endangered Species Act, so to speak. You Mm -hmm. know, everything that isn't endangered or a game fish, those are kind of our priorities. So Moon Eye fit in that bucket pretty well. Right now, we've got in Minnesota the no junk fish bill, which passed. So that's a good thing. That gives the DNR a mandate to 
figure out a way to separate native and invasive species regulations because right now the catch-all rough fish lumps in a whole bunch of things that don't have anything to do with each other like moon eyes with buffalo with gar and bowfin which are all native fish but are all radically different from each other from a life cycle standpoint and it also lumped in with all of the carp species and goldfish and all that kind of thing so the current regulatory structure doesn't actually make sense and this gives the dnr an opportunity to find a way to split that up and make it fit better with reality yeah and and part of that is providing funding to get data so we can make science-based decisions on let's say limits and things like that on the non-game fish species We've also advocated for removing the term rough fish from the Minnesota regulations and replacing it with native fish where appropriate, just to kind of help make that distinction a little more clear for people. Because I think when you throw, you know, six species of red horse into the same bucket as a carp, it doesn't bode well for them. And it's confusing for people who haven't been, you know, either educated or made aware of the differences in those. So education and outreach is our number one tool. And part of that's getting the language cleaned up a little bit just so that we can make sure that the impact of messaging is direct and fruitful. Yeah. You mentioned buffalo, super cool fish, and also like the different red horses. And I think, yeah, folks that don't look hard at like the features of a fish. I know we always kind of talk about this on the show and what it's like to hold a fish in your hands, but really kind of key into those different features and learn how to identify these species from each other. So you know which ones are native and which ones are not from here. Yep. And Tony said it well with the, you know, mentioning the gold eye being listed in Wisconsin is endangered. We can go from zero information and having, you know, a really abundant species to all of a sudden people start to look around and say, Hey, where is this thing? I haven't seen this in 15 years. And then a little bit more digging shows they're almost gone. So hopefully with the um, no junk fish bill, particularly in Minnesota, this will help set a precedent for getting good usable data while certain species are still abundant so we can keep them abundant. Especially if, you know, right now we know the moon eye with the spectacle case muscle. I mean, how many more of those are out there that we just haven't quite identified yet? Yeah, those connections are, yeah, unknown. That's cool. I am curious. I've been watching uh, Eric this whole time sitting here. He's got this, shoot for the moon shirt on. I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Well, every year for the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, I think the roughfish.com group runs a species fishing contest during the month of June. And so during that month, anglers who have signed up attempt to catch as many freshwater species as they can during the month of June. And it started out and it was a pretty small affair you know, there were maybe 20, 30 people get together and just kind of fish pretty locally. If someone was going on a little road trip, they might throw in a neat oddball or something like that. And I don't remember, Tony, how many people registered last year. I think over 80 people and I think over 80 species of fish was the winning number last year. <laughs> so Wow. And just in June. Just for the month of June. And it is so fun. Last year, I just so happened to be on a trip out to North Carolina during that June contest. So I racked up a bunch of species out there and just had an absolute blast researching new drainages and new species. And it's just a really neat way. We talked about the moon eye being a neat on-ramp for just kind of, you know, species in general. But this contest is another type of on-ramp for native fish and freshwater fish. Just gets people involved. There's a kids contest run at the same time so that we can get the youth involved. 
because they are, you know, as corny as it sounds, they are the future. We need to get them involved early and keep them as curious as we possibly can so that we can keep the momentum going. But yeah, so this shirt, every year they issue a shirt, a um, bunch of wonderful designs with uh, typically native fish on there. And um, wear your shirt during the month of June and get fish slime and nightcrawler guts on it and try and catch as many of those species as you can in that month. I've been watching that contest online with jealousy up here because, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like salmon right now. And we've got some, <laughs> a few sculpin and sticklebacks and things like that. But yeah, I'm not going to get 80 fish. I'm trying to think of the Alaska species we've seen over the past few years. You know, I, I don't know if blackfish get to be a pound, but if they did, I would almost drive to Alaska. Oh, they I've don't. Okay. Them. They have them right here in Anchorage. They're really cool. Oh, I can't wait to catch one of those. That is so high on my list of species to catch. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, they're right here in town. There's a bunch of lakes with them. Cool. All right. Well, thank you thank both. You Appreciate it. This was very Thanks cool. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was a good time. All right. Get out there and enjoy all the fish. And if you like big eyes and bony tongues, be sure to check out the gold eye and moon eye. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Race Car. Produced and story edited by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Production management by Gabriella Montequin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Regional Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. After we were talking about blackfish. I wonder, did, did I ever tell you about Scott and I's chasing after blackfish? Tell me I'll again. Tell you something. You I was holding him by his ankles and he was like using a dip net swinging down under undercut banks and I was like having to pull him up and everything. We eventually got one. Cool. But that that's not a moon eye story, so we won't include it. <laughs>